Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship Podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. Yeah, so I um, just want to say thank you, Pastor Eric, so much. Um, you know, I know he prayed for me, like, this, this is the second time. He prayed for me already in the first service, and I think um, his prayer really encouraged me and also um, just gave me a lot of comfort. And I think wherever I go, I will remember new life as this place and people um, who really um, loves God and also loves, you know, its pastor. And I don't think I been actually loved this much as a pastor in my life. And I've only done ministry maybe like during the last five years, but this has been truly a loving church. So I hope that you continually love one another and love um, just, you know, God and also the pastors because, you know, pastors can be lonely and just small words and, you know, that nice smile you give to us really um, also encourage us too. So thank you so much for all your love. Okay. Um, can we rise up as we read um, today's word? Uh, today's word comes from Judges uh, 4, 12 to 16. Uh, hear the word of God. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Amen. All right. You may sit down. So before we jump into the story of Barak and Deborah for today, I'd like to just give a little context and background of where the book of Judges you know, begins. Um, so as you might know, Moses led people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. And there he taught them the laws of God, which they were commanded to obey. However, because of Israel's never-ending disobedience, the Lord extended what would be 40 years 40 day, 40 day stay in the desert into 40 years and try to teach Israelites how important it is to worship and obey God only. And after the death of Moses, God chose Joshua to lead Israel out of the desert and into the land of Canaan, which God promised to give to their ancestors long time ago. Joshua and all the Israelites had to fight many battles against the inhabitants of nations who are already living in those lands of Canaan. All their trials and wars are recorded in the book of Joshua. And finally, they succeed somewhat in con- conquering the nations of Canaan. And I say somewhat because God urged the Israelites to completely drive out every non-Israelite from Canaan. And this was because people of Canaan did not worship God, but they served the false gods like Baal and Ashtoreth. And the Lord knew 
that when the Israelites come into this land and see these idols before their eyes, their devotion to the Lord and their heart would waver and eventually abandon him in spite of all the good, wonderful things that God had done for them. And that is why God pleaded with Israelites again and again to neither interact nor intermarry with these Canaanites and people of other nations. And though there were few exceptions like Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute, yet she chose to serve the God alone, and therefore her life and her family's life was spared. And eventually, Joshua dies, and Israel no longer has the faithful, charismatic leader who, who can continue helping them conquer the rest of the nations in Canaan. And that is how the book of Judges begins today. And where the story of Deborah and Barak will come in as we follow. And as we talked about it, Israelites succeeded in taking over some countries, but could not destroy all the nations of Canaan as the Lord directed. Also, even in those lands they were able to overtake, they failed to drive out every non-Israelite residence because those people didn't want to leave their homeland and home. So if I were in their shoes, I would never want to leave my home and country either just because these Israelite invaders come in and just ask me to, right? So I would never go. And Israelites could not bring themselves to force these people out. So what they ended up doing was to compromise and to allow them to stay by subjecting them to slavery. But this was not what the Lord commanded Israelites to do. And certainly not what they promised to him they would do. And therefore the whole situation was just a big mess. And they were going astray from God and this path that he had already prepared for them. And behold, things start going seriously wrong for Israelites as time passes exactly as God foresaw and warned. Judges 2, 10 to 13. After the whole generation of Joshua had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. So what ends up happening now for many, many years to follow is that Israelites have to live through the consequences of their disobedience and clean up their own mess. All those inhabitants of Canaan whom Israelites allowed to stay now became a huge stumbling block and even nemesis and began harshly to oppress them. And Israelites tried to overthrow them just like in the days of Joshua. However, they could no longer defeat those nations of Canaan whom they were able to win before. And why was that? Why couldn't they overcome these enemies and obstacles they were able to overcome before? It was because they forgot where their strength came from. Their military success did not come from their great numbers, weapons, and strategies. Their strength came only from believing in God and following Him. But now they had lost their faith in God. They had to fight alone without God's help. And there was no way, no way for them to win against 
these fierce enemies who are coming against them. And that is why he reminded them by sending a first judge by the name Othniel. And Othniel in Hebrew means the strength of God. And only when Israelites repented and acknowledged their power came only from God alone, they were able to defeat their enemies with the leadership of judges. So people of new life, let us not forget where our strength, our protection, success, and blessings come from. They do not come from our wisdom, self-confidence, loving family, secure workplace, effort, fame, or money. We are able to thrive and live a peaceful life only because we believe in Jesus as our strength. And I believe this peace we are able to enjoy even in the United States do not come from our military might, economic strength, and political strategies. I believe our peace comes from the one and only God of peace who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And this will be the focus of our message today as we move on to talk about Deborah and Barak. Now, what was most striking for me as I was meditating the book of Judges is how gracious and faithful our Lord was to his chosen people. Judges 2 verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I will never break my covenant with you. This meant that no matter what Israelites do, and no matter how far they stray away from God in the future, he's telling them that I will never abandon you, no matter how evil you might become. Yes, God will become angry, and yes, he will become sad, and yes, there will be some consequences that we will have to pay and be responsible for because God is the righteous judge and keeps on account of all our wrongs and all our goods because he can judge us according to what our deeds deserve in the last day. However, this was and is the promise God is giving to Israelites and even to us today that no matter what, his love will always long after our hearts. And he will never give up on us, no matter how low we fall. And that is the everlasting covenant promise that he made with us when we confessed our faith in Jesus, that he will never give up on us, even though we may forsake him. God showed this wonderful love for Israelites by raising up many judges to save them from their enemies. And even though Israelites, in their stubbornness, continuously turn back to their old habits of disobeying God and following idols after each judge passed away, the Lord never stopped showing patience and kindness to these never-learning people, trusting that one day, that one day, that they will learn to love him with all their heart and strength. So we move on to Judges 4. And in Judges 4, we have the story of a female judge named Deborah and a warrior, Barak, who show us the great examples of how we should exercise our faith in today's society. So in Deborah's days, Israelites were subjected to the 20-year rule of Canaan and suffered cruelly. The king of Canaan's name was Jabin, and his commander's name was Sisera. 
Israelites could not dare to oppose these two men because they oppressed them with their military might and this woman until this woman of God showed up. Judges 4, 4 to 7. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I lead Sarah, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. In Israel, there were 12 tribes, they each named after the sons of Jacob and Joseph. In Judges 5, after the decisive battle with Canaan, Deborah praises God for victory, but laments how only the six tribes joined the army and risked their lives while the other half were afraid, stayed in, stayed in their homes, and didn't stand up with the rest. And therefore, Deborah called the six tribes who stood up for God as noble ones and princes because they took the lead and willingly offered their service for the righteous cause of God. However, what is most remarkable for me in this story is the Deborah's faith. As you might know, it hasn't been over 100 years in the United States and especially in South Korea where women began to receive the same treatment as men in society. More so, back in thousands of years ago, can you imagine how worse women were treated in the heavily predominant patriarchal society of Israel? It was a bad, bad time for women to live. Yet it's striking that out of all the male judges we have in the Bible, God chose a woman to be the prophet and the leader for Israel in such chaotic and difficult time. There were many male judges, yet she was the one and only female judge. Her sexuality is not the only thing that distinguishes her from the rest of judges. I dare say she was the bravest out of all the judges. Even the great judge Gideon, who led 300 troops to defeat the tens of thousands of enemies, did not listen to God at once, yet he tested God multiple times before he finally decided to go battle against the Midianites. But Deborah, as soon as she heard the message from God, as if she's been waiting for it, called Barak and commanded him to lead an army against Jabin and Sisera. And until she spoke up, no one in Israel dared to dream of resisting the fierce rule of these two men and their mighty army. And even when Deborah assured and urged Barak to go, because the Lord promised a sure victory, Barak was too afraid for, to face these Canaanites alone, and therefore he had to ask Deborah to come with him so that he will be confident and believe in God's victory for sure. Barak needed her to be with him because he could not readily trust the Lord. And if a warrior of Israel like Barak was like this at the time, we can all empathize how dreadful it must have been for Israelites to face these Canaanites. 
And if you were to ask me, if I were alive back in the time and Deborah called me instead of Barack, I would have crapped my pants. Like, you found the wrong person, and there's another dude with the name bowl, and you can go and find him. Like, I'm not going. Such was the time of Deborah and Barak. And God gave a clear message of victory, but not many were brave enough to embrace the faith and fight the war God was calling them to fight. And that is why if you read Judges 5, Deborah had to give a wake-up call and encourage Barak and Israelites before they could go to war against Canaan. And actually, she had to wake and encourage herself too because this battle they were called to fight was that much of a big, serious deal. So let me explain how the situation was like in um, just a little bit of analogy. So Canaan had 900 chariots made with iron, which is the equivalent of a tank today. Very fact that Canaan was able to develop a chariot with iron shows how advanced their military warfare was back in the time. Because iron, unlike today, was not an easy, cheap material you can obtain at the time. In contrast, what did Israel have? Oh, nothing much. Just a good old sword and maybe a shield or maybe not. And I really doubt that they were well equipped and well prepared because they were constantly harassed and threatened by Jabin and Sisera's and their mighty army. It would not have been easy for them to prepare enough weapons for everyone under their harsh dictatorship. It's like a war between 900 tanks and 10,000 foot soldiers with rifles. Now there's a really tough battle to win. Simply speaking, you are asking 11 troops to take down one tank with a rifle. That's how impossible the battle was looking in reality. And that was the kind of an impossible war that the Lord was asking the, Lord was asking the Israelites to fight. But God promised them that they will win. Not because they were well-equipped and strong, but because the Lord will be their strength and will win this battle for them. Thus Deborah sounded an alarm and encouraged all the Israelites to move into action, no longer being a passive bystander, but being an active worshiper and fighter of God. Judges 5.12 Wake up! Wake up, Deborah! Wake up! Wake up! Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captives, son of Abinoam. Wake up. Wake up. Arise and fight the battle already won for you. I wonder if that is what Jesus is speaking to into our hearts today and urging us to live in such diverse global society with many different beliefs and religions. And as it's becoming closer each Sunday for me to leave Seattle, I've been thinking and reflecting about my experiences and impressions of Seattle um, during the last seven years. It's a very short number of years compared to those of you who grew up here and lived longer periods of time. But this is what I've noticed and realized after living some years in Alabama, New Jersey, and then Seattle. You know, I love Seattle because I respect and appreciate the diversity. Me being a Korean immigrant, I think there's no better place than Seattle for immigrants to live with such respect, freedom, and great opportunities. I really believe so. However, I have also gotten to know Seattle as this place where you're pressured 
to keep quiet about your true beliefs. They might not necessarily align with the dominant atmosphere of political correctness and trending opinions and beliefs of today. Nobody's threatening you to keep quiet, but there's certainly an atmosphere that, you know, whatever you are believing, keep it to yourself because that's not what we want to hear. This place I've gotten to love as my second hometown is truly a difficult place for Christians to have a deep root in pure, untainted Christian faith. Simply speaking, personally for me, it's harder to keep faith pure and sincere because of surrounding cultures and people. And for those of you who are living in Seattle, this is the real deal. This is the real deal you are facing as Christians. But maybe not just in Seattle, but more and more so in other parts of the world. I believe we are often encouraged to compromise by either giving up or not standing up proudly for our beliefs in exchange for the temporary security, comfort, and acceptance from the majority of people around us. We exchange God's love for people's love. That's what I do. That's what I still do. In this way, the world has and will become more and more corrupt and stubborn, resisting, ignoring, compromising, and even twisting the truth of God, different from what he teaches us in the Bible. Even though we are not fighting a life-threatening battle for our physical lives like the Borah and Barak, we are fighting a life-threatening spiritual battle as Christians for the perseverance and growth of our Christian faith against many voices and beliefs that speak different messages and try to lead us further and further away from the one and true God. In the same way, the Barah and Barak were fighting the spiritual battle for the protection and growth of their faith in God against the deceptive voices and temptations from false idols of Canaan. These were more imminent concerns for Israel and even for God because on these people, on these Israelites, depended the hope and promise of God for the salvation of everyone in this world because, as you might know, Jesus was a Jewish, an Israelite Messiah, given from the Father for us for the salvation of everyone in this world. Therefore, the Borah, Barak and his 10,000 troops were fighting a spiritual battle. And it was never about fighting a military battle so that they can conquer other nations for the sake of having a complete military might and rule over them. It was never about that. Instead, against their own fears of risking their safety and lives, they stood up to fight for God who chose and loved them unconditionally in spite of their many differences. And that was how God is like for us. And it was finally time for them to rise from slumber. Judges 4, 14 to 16. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So in the end, before Barak 
could catch up with Sarah, who was running away, finish his life, and thus end the war for good. The very person who put an end to a 20-year dictatorship by killing Sarah was none other than this humble woman, and her name was Jael. So who was Jael? Well, nothing special, really. She was just an ordinary wife, living in a tent, neither strong nor famous for anything. But when Sisera came into her tent and asked her to hide him while he was asleep, she grabbed and drove the tent peg right through his head, killing him completely. She accomplished what took 20 years for Israelites to accomplish in a single moment. Wow. And she did so not for herself, but for the glory of God. And that is why instead of giving credit to Barak for the victory of this awesome, awesome battle. The honor was given to this humble woman because she chose to fear God and not man. Judges 5, 24 to 6. Judges 5, 24. Most blessed of woman be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of ten dwelling woman. And indeed, the prophets of Deborah was fulfilled in this way. Because before they went out to war, she warned Barak that the honor of victory will be given to a woman because Barak didn't place a complete faith in God. But however, I want to take a step back and I want to look at Barak's faith. And actually, I want to compliment him for his perhaps weak and perhaps flawed faith. Because he still chose to obey God and go to war with Deborah and fight this war that God was asking him to fight. Though he might not have trusted God 100%, he still obeyed God in spite of his small faith. And I really respect and admire Barak for that. Because I told you, I don't think I could have done that. So I want to tell you that if you have a weak faith like Barak, and even a weaker faith like me, I want to tell you that that is okay. That is okay. I admire Barak for even going into war with Deborah because even if Deborah said she would go with me, I told you already I would have crapped my pants and not go. That's what I told you. And that's why I respect him so much. And I want to encourage you, if you are in the similar place of having less confidence and uncertainty about future like him, just so you know, that is exactly why we believe in Jesus. We are weak, and I, I am terribly weak. And that is why we believe in the Lord, who can understand our flaws and weaknesses. And yet, He chooses to love us, waiting and trusting that our faith will grow in time with His help. Hebrews four, fifteen to 16 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's end the sermon today. So today, God is looking for Deborah, Barak, and Jael, who will step up and say, I am here, use me, send me. I am weak, I am afraid, and I may not have a huge confidence and great faith, but still, God, I want to do your will against all these odds and hardships. 
This is the prayer that comes out of our willingness to want to obey God in spite of our small, weak faith. In Judges 5.9, Deborah emphasizes how important this willingness is to, in order to help us to obey God in times of fear and uncertainty about future. My heart is with Israel's princes, with those willing volunteers among the people. Willing people among the people. Let's ask ourselves, is my heart willing to obey God? Problems of fear and anxiety aside, let's put them aside for now. We gotta have willingness in our hearts first, before we can start obeying God. That is why David prays in Psalm 51 verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. So Lord, give us, give new life, the willing spirit to obey your word and to sustain us for the future to come. And once we are willing, we must not stop there. Next step is having courage and confidence in God. That's why Deborah says in 5.21, March on, my soul, be strong. I'm going to say it again. March on, my soul, be strong. She's speaking to her soul against this fear that is trying to hinder her, stop her from doing what is right and good in God's sight. We need people who will rise up to stand up for the truth, justice, and love of God in this diverse society that is constantly trying to discourage us from doing so. Let's look around us. How many of us, how many people are still burning with passion for Jesus Christ? Why do we have to continually go to other nations to find such passionate people of God and not try to become such people in Seattle and in the United States? It is not the missionary's task to renew and challenge our faith continually every summer. What I grieve is that Israel had people like Deborah, Barak, and Jael, along with more than 10,000 people of Israelites willing to risk their life for God. They certainly didn't have to travel outside of nation to find such God-loving people. However, it is true that it's becoming more and more difficult to find such people of God in our time. Look at me. I love and prefer my own comfort and security. I do not like hardships. I do not like to walk through the refining fire of having to go through the persecutions and trials, even though Jesus is constantly and always calling me that his path is narrow and only a few walk in it. As I started living in Seattle, without even me realizing it, I'm finding myself continually compromising with and conforming to the world and their voices, telling me, what can you alone accomplish? The world is changing, and even the church is changing. There's nothing you can do about it. And as I continue to do ministry, I have to question myself, is this the kind of life Jesus called me to live? This is the kind of life I wanted to live when I made my lifelong confession in Jesus Christ and came into this ministry for his kingdom. And that is why Deborah's song in Judges 5 comes very close to my heart today. Wake up, wake up, march on my soul, be strong, stand up and march on like a warrior for the Lord. 
David prays the same thing in Psalm 43:5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my God and my Savior. And people of new life, this is your God. You see, great people of God did not choose the most peaceful, great time to stand and fight for God. Instead, they chose the most difficult, painful time to stand up and fight the spiritual battle God was calling them to fight. So I want to ask you today, what is the spiritual battle that God is calling you to fight in your life? Where is the spiritual battle God is calling you to fight? Is it at your home, school, relationships, workplace, street, or even in other parts of the world? Where is it? Go and fight those spiritual battles against all forces of evil that try to discourage and stumble you from believing in Jesus and delivering his gospel and truth as presented to us clearly in the Bible. However, I want to encourage you, as you fight these battles, please do not hate people because they might do evil things and try to stumble you along the way. And I want to tell you that people do evil. We do evil because everyone is sinful and weak and broken. And that is why we can quickly turn away from God and sin, just like the Israelites in the Bible. So because the time of Jesus' coming is near and our generation is corrupt and far from the Lord, God is looking for new leaders, new disciples, especially among our next generation, which is you. And he's asking for someone, some people, who will stand up for Jesus and uphold his truth and glory, just like the Barak, Barak and Jael and all his 10,000 troops. So Jesus tells us to go because he said he's already won this victory for you and me. We don't have to be strong. We don't have to be wise. We don't have to be skilled. We don't have to have all these qualifications that the world is demanding from us. We only need to trust. Do not wait for the perfect right opportunity because you will waste time by waiting passively. In season and out of season, we are always called to love Jesus and spread his truth and love wherever we are. We only need to hear from God and move into action willing in our spirit and confident in Jesus. And then he promises that he will give us the victory, but not for our own glory, but for his own. Because we are exchanging our glory for this eternal glory of God, that one day that he will reward us with eternal joy, peace, and life when his kingdom comes again with the coming of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, Would you like to stand up for God? Would you like to accept him as your Lord and Savior? Would you like to repent and come back to Jesus? Let's pray for ourselves, our church, and even our generation, ourselves. Jesus is seeking one lost sheep every day among 100 sheep. And today, in this moment, might be yours. Let's pray.
Before we enter into time of prayer, I want to challenge you and ask you um, to pray this prayer with me. At this time, let's just take 30 seconds and even one minute just to pray for ourselves. God, our generation has gone far from you. And even our heart is not willing to obey you. When I look deep inside of my heart, I find myself constantly struggling to whether I want to obey God or whether I want to follow and stray away from the Lord. God, such is the faith, such is the flawed and fragile faith that we have, Jesus. But Father, thank you so much for Lord. You have given us Jesus. Jesus is someone He is the one and only Lord who can empathize with our weaknesses and flaws. And yet He chooses to love us no matter what. So no matter how far we may stray away from Him, He's constantly calling us to come back to Him, to trust in Him, and to fight this spiritual battle and so that we can give Him all the honor and glory for His kingdom. And God is looking for Deborah, Deborah and Jael and 10,000 troops among us. And I want to be that person today. So if you have that faith and if you want to make that statement and confession of faith, let's pray.